Well, good morning, and I do want to echo what Heather said and just say happy Mother's Day to all of you. Mothers here today, whether you're a mother or a grandmother, um, a woman who has a desire to be a mother in your heart, and you may, today may be a day of celebration or it may be a day of grieving, but wherever you find yourself today, we want to say thank you. I even think of my own life, and uh, I'm so grateful for the mom that God put in my life who taught me about faith and prayer uh, and the goodness of God and my grandmothers um, who, who were there when I was young and I got to experience them and my great-grandmother, I was blessed enough uh, to have a great-grandmother who came over from Italy and taught my mom how to make homemade pasta and raviolis and it's her fault. Uh, but I am so grateful for you guys as well as my own wife. Um, oh shoot, I didn't mean that. This has been a hard year, uh, but I'm so grateful for Tiffany, and uh, just she's the glue that holds our family together. Uh, she prays more than anybody I know, and uh, she loves God so deeply, and she is going to share the message with you guys today, and I'm going to get out of the way. Good morning. It is so good to be here with you, and I just want to echo what he said. Happy Mother's Day. I know that we have moms, stepmoms, grandmothers, great-grandmothers in here, and we just want to take a moment to say we recognize you and we love you, and we also know on the other side of that that there can be much pain. Maybe Happy Mother's Day isn't appropriate, and so we see you and we love you and we honor you too, so I just wanted to take a second to say that. Okay, so I have to say it's both thrilling and terrifying to be up here today, so I thought I'd, I'd do a little something to break the ice. Okay, um, my family knows that I like Reader's Digest. I don't know if anyone else does, but if I'm on a trip, I pull it out, and they're like, oh, great, she's going to read all the funny jokes and stuff to us. I have a captive audience, you know, and at some point they're going to see me crying because I'm real sappy when it comes to those stories. Adam joked one time when I pulled out two Reader's Digest and one Kleenex. He said it's the Reader's Digest challenge. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to start with a little funny. It says, after Sunday school, my three-year-old Colby exclaimed, I hate Jesus. Jesus is yucky. I was mortified. Several minutes went by as we drove home and terrible thoughts filled my head. Where had we gone wrong? Finally, I said, tell me why you hate Jesus. He died on the cross for us. Colby tilted his head and a perplexed look spread across his little face. This is it, I thought. He's going to reveal why he feels this way. Cheez-Its, mom. I hate (laughs) Cheez-Its. So there you go. The other thought I had was, uh, well, this could be my opportunity to do a cool mom dance move. However, it always turns out way better in my head than when I actually do it. And you can ask my kids about that one. (laughs) So really, in all seriousness, it is a privilege and an honor to be up here to be able to speak to you. It's um, a sacred time, and I don't take it lightly, and so I just do want us to open in a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we have together to look at your word together, to learn more about you, and I pray that, Lord, you would be with the words that I share and that you would be with the hearts of the people receiving it today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in, in thinking about a lasting legacy, as I, I knew the series is starting this week, um, I kind of hop on and I start looking up the word legacy. And I, I look up the phrase lasting legacy. And I consider the legacy that my parents have left for me um, or leaving for me, my, my mom. Um, and I think about the legacy 
that I'm currently building and leaving for my children and their children's children. And even the sphere of influence, as Adam spoke about last week, we all have that sphere of influence. And so it may be your children and, and your, your family and, and your friends, your coworkers. And so as I considered all that and, and what is legacy, overall, legacy means a culmination of family history, lessons, beliefs, and values. And as Christians, it's the stories of the things that God does in our life, how he carries us and, and lives, in, lives in us and, you know, helps us. So it's a culmination of all of that. So... Every day, week, month, and year, we are living out a legacy that was left or is being left to us from those that are ahead of us, and it is being built for us to leave as well for the people that come after us. I do believe as a Christian, one of the most important aspects of your legacy is the spiritual component. And as Adam shared um, a few weeks ago, I'm adopted, and so I very am very much aware of the fact that... Um, I was born, and I could have been aborted, um, but I wasn't. My birth mother chose life, and I'm so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful for a mom and dad who are praying for a child and that I was adopted by them. And I had the opportunity and privilege to know about Jesus, to, to see faith lived out daily. And so I am so grateful for that and grateful that I have the Lord to go to and feast in famine and pain and in suffering and the good times and the bad. And I pray that that's the part of my legacy that I am working on building, working on obeying the Lord and refining so that I'm living it out for my children and those around me for now and for the years to come. So as we go through this series, I do want us to consider for a moment the legacy that maybe you're living with right now and the legacy that you're leaving. And maybe there's pain in that. Maybe there's pain in, in what you grew up in, and maybe there's pain or regret in how, how you're living your legacy out right now. But you know what? There's a Redeemer. There's a God in heaven who loves and cares and redeems our story. And so I hope that you would feel hope and that you'd feel a renewed sense of passion in building a fresh legacy, if that's where you're at, or forgiving what's happened in the past. And so I just want to remind you that there is a Redeemer. And in going through this series, this lasting legacy, we're going to learn about that in the next few weeks. Today, we're going to be looking at the life of Ruth. Okay, and I, I have to start out with the news flash. Um, this might come a little bit shocking to some, but life can be hard and messy, and there is suffering. Shocking, isn't it? Okay, not really. We all are very acutely aware. Um, we're maybe right in the middle of suffering or just kind of come out of one season of suffering. And I hate to say it, I know that there are sufferings, you know, ahead. But it really isn't a, a newsflash. And in the, the book of Ruth, in the life of Ruth, we see at the very beginning of her story there is suffering. But we can't just stop there. Just like in life, we can't just stop when there's suffering and go, okay, well... So we want to look at and see what parts of her story we can pull out and we can learn from as we are looking at legacy. Okay, so we're going to just start right here with the scripture. The story begins with a trip at the very beginning of Ruth. Ruth 1, 1 through 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons... 
The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. So we see we have Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, and they have left Bethlehem, gone to Moab, and they're escaping the famine that's in, in, in Bethlehem. Chapter 1 of Ruth only has 22 verses. And between verses 3 and 5, Naomi loses her husband. She gains two daughters-in-law and then loses both of her sons, Ruth 1, 3 through 5. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So we see suffering. We see these three widows clinging to one another, hurting and in pain and sad. But we don't want to stop there in the story because that's kind of depressing. We might look at our own life and think we're in the middle of suffering. Okay, so let's not stop. Let's keep going. Let's walk through the book of Ruth and learn some rich lessons of things that we can do to build our legacy and to help us kind of walk out of this area of suffering, good life lessons for us and for those around us. Okay, so now finally, things have been bad and suffering has happened, but we do see that word comes that the famine is over and Naomi is going to go ahead and leave Moab and go back to Bethlehem. Ruth 1, 8 through 10. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. She is hoping that they'd go on to marry. Then she kissed them, and they lift up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. So we see that they cry together. And Ruth and Orpah insist, No, we're going to just go ahead and stick with you. We're going to go back to Bethlehem. It didn't take much more convincing and talking. Um, Orpah decided, Okay, you know what? I'm just going to go back and live with my family and stay. But Ruth... She chose differently. She was ready to leave Moab. And she was ready to leave physically. You know, she knew it was going to be a move. She was going to go to Bethlehem. But I think in many ways, Ruth was ready for a fresh start. She, she was ready to move and leave the beliefs and the rituals of her country. She was ready to leave the familiar coffee shop on the corner and her family. And she was ready to start fresh And we may be in the middle of a suffering season, and I realize, like, moving out of San Antonio is, you know, we understand it's not practical. So if we look at it from kind of a spiritual aspect, we see that that Ruth, she had seen about the God of Israel, you know, lived out in her father-in-law and her her mother-in-law and her, you know, um, husband and all. And so she understands there's something, you know, that she needs a little something different. So this is an opportunity for her to pursue that we see that, um, and we can totally read it in um, Ruth one sixteen through seventeen. I'm sure it's a very familiar scripture. But Ruth said, "Do not urge me to leave you, um, or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go; where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you." So we see that Ruth has this commitment. And so the first point I really want to pull out of this section of Scripture is Ruth's commitment. She's ready 
to move forward. She's committed to leaving the suffering behind. And I think many times in our life when we go through these seasons, um, it's in the pain and in the suffering that we learn the growth and we, we go deeper in our faith and stronger. And she was ready to move forward, you know, even spiritually speaking, ready to leave the old and go to the new. And so I think it's important for us to um, learn from that and gain from that, that we want a commitment to say in our hearts, you know, that we want to commit to follow the Lord. Maybe it's coming into relationship with the Lord today. Maybe it's getting back on track because, you know, you've kind of slipped back. But the commitment to the Lord and the commitment to following him, that's something that we want to build into our legacy that influences those around us, whether it's your spouse or your children or that sphere of influence around you. Ruth one twenty two said, um, so after, you know, this goes on and, and um, Ruth has committed to Naomi, you know, I'm going to go back with you. Ruth one twenty two says, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So we see here, they are coming back just in time for the barley harvest. Ruth 2, 2 says, And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose, favor I shall, uh, in, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. So we see that Ruth wants to work. She's willing to work. She's not going to just sit around and bum off of Naomi, you know, hopefully Naomi gets a job and then I can just sit around and, um, you know, hang out and bum off of my mother-in-law. So we see that she kind of asks, tells permission to go and work. And so Ruth um, 2.3 says, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Elimelech being her father-in-law. We see that she happens to be in the portion belonging to Boaz. He's a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. And that, you know, was Ruth's father-in-law that passed away. So we see that God is in the details. You know, they come back to Bethlehem, and she happens to be in the field of Boaz. And we'll see a little bit more of the importance of that here in just a little bit. But we do see that God has provided. So we see Ruth and her commitment to stay with her mother-in-law, to go ahead and go into that new land and serve the Lord. Um, She knew what she was getting into, and we see that he's provided, you know, as she's committed. But the point I really want to bring out of this is that she had a willingness to work. And many times, all through our life, we need to have that willingness to work. And I don't just mean physical, although we all understand the benefit and the importance of physical labor um, working. But many times it could be um, working on relationships that are strained, forgiving, um, parenting, uh, working through you know difficult circumstances. Um, we need to have, I think it's important to have as part of our legacy, that willingness to work, to do the dirty work, to do the hard work, to get into the trenches and, um, and not be lazy spiritually. You know, sometimes it's clinging to the Lord when those hard things, well, it's always clinging to the Lord when the hard things come, but it's really just having that willingness to work. And we see that in Ruth, and, and that's just something I wanted to 
to make a point on is to have that willingness to work as part of our legacy, as part of something that we we want to be known by. Um, I, I don't want to be known as someone who's lackadaisical or lazy in any way um, at all. And so let's um, let's take that away as one of one of the key important pieces there. And um, so she's gleaning from, you know, the workers are going and things fall down and Ruth's picking that up. I mean, she's really doing some hard work there. We see in Ruth 2.5, then Boaz, remember whose field this is in, Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Boaz has noticed Ruth and has asked about her. And his servant is happy to tell him all the details, everything about who she is, where she's come from, what she's doing there. Okay, and so we see in Ruth 2, 8 through 9, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz not only allows her to continue doing what she's doing, he insists on it and tells her don't go anywhere else. And he provides and he protects. He protects her. He tells, he's told all the young, young men, don't touch her, don't bother her. And when you're thirsty, go get a drink of water. And Ruth responds with this. Ruth 2.10 Then she, Ruth, fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? She wants to know why. And there might be some of you in here, okay, so sometimes bad things happen, and we may ask, why me? But I'm I'm thinking more of when we just are overwhelmed by God's grace and his mercy. God sent his son to die on the cross, and we just kind of whisper in our heart, why me? You know, it's just me and your God. Ruth wants to know that. She's asking Boaz, why? What, what have I done? You know, that, I mean, she's provided for and she's protected and she wants to know why. And he tells her, Ruth 2, 11 through 12, but Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He is reaffirming her decision. And really, in the spiritual aspect, she left Moab and went to Bethlehem, but God himself has provided for Ruth. And she's not really a foreigner anymore. But what I really like is that her kindness has been seen, but not just seen, It's been rewarded, and I want to point out here, the point here I want to make is that I want to build into my legacy, we should want to build into our legacy, kindness, but not the kind of kindness that waves people head at the four-way stop, when it's really probably already their turn, Um, or we're pushing the cart in the grocery store and we smile, all those, those things are really good, but this is kindness that moves us to action. Okay, this isn't being kind to your best friend and saying, oh, yes, you know what? I will pick that thing up for you at Target today. Again, that's nice. But this is the kind of kindness that moves us to action when it's not easy or convenient and sometimes maybe for someone we don't even know or, dare I say, it's kind of hard to love. Okay? 
But Ruth has exemplified a kindness that really is unexplainable, and it's, it's moved her to a serious action. She had a commitment. She left Moab, went to Bethlehem. She had a willingness to work. And then we see, you know, that's that kindness in action. I don't know about you, but I think that that's a beautiful thing to build into a legacy for all those that are around us. Um, I'm still working on my driving habits, and um, the way I talk, I don't cuss and I don't flip people off. But just ask my kids, sometimes I'm quite impatient. So that, that's still part of my legacy and kindness that I'm really working on. So anyway, but don't we all have areas that God is still refining and working on? So, so we see Ruth has worked, okay, and Naomi is very impressed with her work, okay, the provision of Ruth, and she wants to know where she's been working. Naomi is asking Ruth where she's been working. Ruth 2.19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? A little side note, I kind of sometimes wondered if she really already knows, but she's, she's pretending she doesn't. So where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she's thinking husband, you know, future husband potential. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Okay, so whether Naomi really knew or not, she does know the name Boaz, Okay. And she says, Ruth 2.20b, the man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. So we see in the Old Testament there is a term called a kinsman redeemer. And that is a male relative who, according to various laws of the Pentateuch, had the privilege or the responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, danger, or need. And I really want to point out that this is kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus being our redeemer. We were a people in trouble, in danger, and in need. And God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross and be our redeemer. And so we, we see his redeeming work. We see it all over Ruth. We can see it all over our lives. Ruth 2.23a says, So she, Ruth, kept close to the young women. She, she did what Boaz had said. She stayed where you know he told her. And she gleaned until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. I want to point out it notes that they arrived at the beginning of the barley harvest, and it says here that she worked until the uh, barley and the wheat harvest were finished. She did not quit. She worked hard, okay? And God provided. These were wonderful faith-growing experiences. And um, the point that I, I saw through all this and that I wanted to bring out is that there is a different, and this is different than that willingness to work that we talked about. This is the, the seeing it through, the working until we see it through. And I realize we may not always see the end of everything that we're working towards, especially spiritually when we're praying for someone or working on those relationships or parenting our children. You know, sometimes it does seem like it is an endless job, and, you know, and I'm not knocking it. It's a worthwhile job. It's just that we need to be willing to not quit when it gets hard which I know is a lot easier said than done, and we all have our moments, and that's okay, but it's important to keep going, to be forward-moving, to not stop, to not quit, to not go back to the land of Moab. And so that's different than having that willingness to work. Okay, you know, I'm willing. It's when it gets hard to keep going and to keep seeing it through to the end. And so I just, I, I just wanted to make that point in our legacy that we need to be people who are willing to see that thing through, whatever that thing is for you. 
Okay, so Naomi, we already know she'd really like to see Ruth be married. Um, it, it would be a benefit to Naomi, but I think her heart is really that her daughter-in-law be provided for, okay? So she's playing a little matchmaker here. She really does have a desire for Ruth to find a husband. In Ruth 3, 1 through 4, we see that Naomi, her mother-in-law, said, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known until he has done, finished eating and drinking. Smart mother-in-law, she knows. Let the man finish eating and drinking. He'll be completely satisfied then. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth replies, all that you say I will do. With the prospect of Boaz as the kinsman redeemer, it was time for Ruth to take another step of faith and obedience. Ruth listened to Naomi's instruction for approaching Boaz. And so we see at midnight, Ruth 3, 8, at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. My goodness, that's got to be a little bit of a shock. So she tells him who she is, why she's there. And I guess he probably already knows who she is once he's, like, woken up and lit the candle. Um, But she tells him why she's there and who he is to her. So Ruth 10, 10 through 11 says, and he said, this is his reply to her. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first um, in that you have gone, not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So that is a a beautiful um, response to Ruth from Boaz. And he recognizes that she is a worthy woman. Other translations say a woman of noble character. And so the point here being character and integrity. You know, our name can precede us. Um, I hope when, you know, that happens, it's for all of us that it's good and positive and, you know, associated with that commitment and that tenacity and the willingness to work and faith and trust in God and kindness that moves us to action and a willingness to, to work through things and see them to the end. And so, in short, being a person of noble character is an important part of building a strong legacy. Okay, and so Boaz goes on to tell her after he's listened to her and after he said this that there is one that's a little bit closer to him in relationship that could, you know, step in, but that he already told her he was willing, you know, he was willing to do whatever it was, but they were to go back to sleep and he would take care of the matter in the morning. So Ruth goes and tells Naomi everything. And and Naomi tells her to wait until the final word from Boaz. Ruth 3, 18. Naomi tells Ruth, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. She trusts and obeys again. So this is all about to pay off. And, and the point that I want to bring out of this, and we see it a little bit through, throughout the whole story, really, is her trusting, her faith, and her obedience. Those are three key parts of walking a spiritual, you know, Christian life. And I think it even goes to Ruth listening to someone that God put in her life. So there may be people in your life that God's placed there. It's important for you to listen to them. It might be your spouse. It might even be things that we learn from our children because... Those of us who have kids, I find myself sometimes going, wow, I've learned so much from them. You know, sometimes I just learn what not to say because I hear it repeated. So anyway, um, but having faith and having trust and having obedience, we need to have that in our life as part of our legacy. 
Ruth's simple and consistent acts of faithfulness have kingdom-sized ramifications, as do our um, simple acts uh, and consistent acts of faithfulness. They have kingdom-sized ramifications. Ruth 4.1 says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, the other person that could redeem Ruth, of whom Boaz had spoken, came, came by. So Boaz said, Hey, come on, come over here, come sit with me, let's talk. And so Boaz lays it all out, and I'm thinking this, this guy was like, cha-ching, cha-ching, there's some land, it's going to equal some money, this is really good, until Ruth 4, 5 through 6. Then Boaz said, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the, guy, the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He was all in when it was just land, but put the woman in there, and he's like, mm, that would somehow mess up his inheritance that he was already in line for if he took the wife of a, another man. So he said, it's all yours. Enjoy. And Boaz had already said he was going to step up and do it. So Boaz, he takes it. He calls everyone there as a witness. He is not just taking the land. He is taking a wife. He is stepping in as the kinsman redeemer. Ruth 4, 9 through 10. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and to Chilean and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead. And I do want to point out that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay our sin, to pay our debt, which was, you know, a gracious gift. And so this is much deeper than just buying land and acquiring a wife. He was, you know, really stepping in, um, stepping in there to, to really turn this story around. So Ruth went from living her everyday life in her home country. She gets married. She faces suffering. But then we see the redemption. We see her life lived out with commitment, willingness to work, kindness that moves to action, that willingness to work through to the end, having faith and trust and obedience and being a woman of noble character, all things that are so important. And all the while, they do not know, Ruth and Boaz do not know the full impact. They did not know that Jesus himself would be born through this lineage. Ruth and Boaz have an awesome family history of redemption. Even better through this family tree, the Redeemer, our Redeemer, would come back, come back to buy back the world. Ruth 4, 11 through 12 says, So all the witnesses that are there, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus. And may your house be the house like the house of Perez, whom Tamar, that's another one we're going to be looking at, Bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Ruth and Boaz get married. They have a child. The women come into the streets. They're rejoicing. They're rejoicing with Naomi because not only has Ruth been redeemed, but Naomi has been redeemed. She's being provided for and taken care of. So we just see all the good that's coming out of this. And, and Ruth and Boaz have a baby. Ruth 4.17 says, And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi her grandchild, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Does any of that sound familiar? A little bit of genealogy of Jesus there. So we see that God takes the suffering and he redeems it. 
We see the beautiful lessons that we can learn from Ruth in building our legacy. And it's usually not in the way or the time that we define. I find that it never is. But I do find that it's a far greater, far deeper, and far better. And I want to leave you with this. In our waiting place, cling to the hope that God will not leave our stories unfinished or unredeemed. They may not look how we expected, but as with Ruth and Naomi, our story is his story. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for a lasting legacy. I thank you for the opportunity to know you. And I pray that today anyone here that does not yet know you will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ who redeems and loves. And for those that may be far away, help them to come back. And I just thank you so much for your grace and all that we can learn through the truth in your word. And I bless each person here today. In Jesus' name, amen.